Hello, and welcome to Sparkle Tax Time Capsule, a weekly handful of the weird and wonderful happenings that have made San Francisco, San Francisco. Today's episode excavates the week of October 13th through the 19th. October 18th. 1851. On this date, after endless politicking and interminable delay, the Oregon steamed into San Francisco Harbor with the news that California had been admitted to the Union. The reaction of San Francisco's 25,000 citizens is something I'll allow the Daily Alta California to report. Business of almost every description was instantly suspended. The courts adjourned in the midst of their work, and men rushed from every house into the streets and towards the wharves to hail the harbinger of the welcome news. When the steamer rounded Clark's Point and came in front of the city, her masts literally covered with flags and signals, a universal shout arose from 10,000 voices on the wharves, in the streets, upon the hills, housetops, and to the world of shipping in the bay. Again and again were huzzas repeated, adding more and more every moment to the intense excitement and unprecedented enthusiasm. Every public place was soon crowded with eager seekers after the particulars of the news, and the first papers, issued an hour after the appearance of the Oregon, were sold by the newsboys for as much as five dollars each. The enthusiasm increased as the day advanced. Flags of every nation were run up on a thousand masts, and a couple of large guns placed upon the plaza were constantly discharged. That night, every public thoroughfare was crowded with the rejoicing populace. Almost every large building, all the public saloons and places of amusement were brilliantly illuminated. Music from a hundred bands assisted the excitement. Numerous balls and parties were hastily got up. Bonfires blazed upon the hills, and rockets were incessantly thrown into the air until the dawn of the following day. Many difficulties had occurred to delay this happy event, and the people had become sick at heart with the hope deferred of calling themselves, and of being in reality, citizens of the great American Union. October 15, 1863 The first Cliff House opened its doors on this date 145 years ago. The brainchild of a real estate speculator and a state senator, this first of umpteen incarnations was a simple white clapboard affair. Despite its external modesty, it was a high-class joint and quickly became the most fashionable destination in town. Presidents Ulysses Grant and Rutherford B. Hayes would number among its many distinguished guests over the years, but I choose to look to Sam Clemens for an on-the-spot review, reported for the San Francisco Call just weeks after the place opened. Then there's the Cliff House, perched on the very brink of the ocean like a castle by the Rhine, with countless sea lions rolling their unwieldy bulks on the rocks. Steamers and sailing craft are passing, wild fowl scream, and the waves roll into breakers, foam, and spray for five miles along the beach, beautiful and grand. The appetite is whetted by the drive in the breeze. The ocean's presence wins you into a happy frame, and you can eat one of the best dinners with the hungry relish of an ostrich. Go to the Cliff House. Go ere the winds get too fresh, and if you like, you may come back by Mountain Lake and the Presidio, overlook the fort, and bow to the stars and stripes as you pass. The Cliff House was exclusive because it was hard to reach. An expensive toll road and access to a horse and carriage were the only way out to Land's End. When public transportation eventually improved in the 1880s, the Tony crowd sought other playgrounds. 
The restaurant and its reputation fell into a steep decline, and after a 30-year run, this first San Francisco cliff house burned right to the ground. October 18, 1970. The famous Gateway to Chinatown, you know the one, guarded by Fu lions, surmounted by a couple of dragons, was installed and officially dedicated. The Chinatown Gate, and excuse my bad Mandarin, is a paifang. These are markers historically denoting the entrance to a building complex or town, and those evil spirit thwarting foo lions are a typical part of the program. Thanks largely to gifts given by the Republic of China, that's Taiwan to you, these gates have become symbols of Chinatowns all over the world. Los Angeles, Portland, Vancouver, and countless others acquired their own neighborhood markers this way. In San Francisco's case, Taiwan provided materials for the gate, but the design was dreamed up by Chinese-American architect Clayton Lee, whose design apparently won a contest in the late 1960s. The double-tiered, pagoda-style structure was built according to principles of feng shui, which dictate, among other things, that a city's grandest gate must face south, and, though somewhat dwarfed by the larger buildings around it, that it does. A wooden plaque hangs from the central archway, on which stand gilded characters rendering a quote from the father of modern China, the revered revolutionary leader and one-time Chinatown resident, Dr. Sun Yat-sen. All under heaven is for the good of the people. That's it for the week of October 13th through the 19th. Tune in next Monday for another time capsule dredged up from the kaleidoscopic depths of San Francisco history. Before wrapping everything up today, I have a bit of an announcement to make. After a lifetime spent in California and nearly two decades living in San Francisco, I've joined the ranks of perhaps the majority of SparkleTac listeners. That's right, I've become a San Francisco expatriate. This wasn't an easy decision, but in coming to it, my lady friend and I weighed a ton of different factors, knit our brows, and pondered, and all signs seemed to point north, towards Portland, Oregon. That's where I'm sitting right now, watching, yes, I'm watching the rain drift down, and just thinking about how many threads connect the cities of the West Coast. We've been up here since March, actually, and have settled in pretty nicely. It seems to be a good fit. I do like living in Portland, but perhaps absence will, as some poet is alleged to have said, make the heart grow fonder. That would be the heart I left in San Francisco, of course. San Francisco will forever remain my one true urban love affair, my favorite city. This is exactly what's brought me back to podcasting again, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for listening. Till next time.